After years on the road, Timmy parked the van and picked up the mic to bring you this podcast that features interviews with people from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me with your host, Joshua Toomey. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me, episode 41. On this episode, I speak to Rich Ward of Stuck Mojo and Fozzie. If you guys are huge Stuck Mojo fans, if you're a huge uh, Fozzie fan or just a music fan in general, you will love and enjoy this conversation that Rich and I have. It's a very long conversation, but it's a very uh, educational one. It's a great one if you are a fan of those bands. And he breaks down what's going on in Stuck Mojo, what happened to Bones, talks about Robbie J, talks about the new... Uh, pledge music campaign a lot of great stuff so let's get to some sponsors so we can get to our show if you guys follow me on instagram you saw today that when i got home from work while sitting on my porch was a package from puck hockey and i couldn't be more excited they sent me some more great t-shirts a great hoodie a great hat that's just one sponsor that i'm so glad that's on board with the talk to me podcast you know puck hockey is a boutique brand and none of their apparel is mass produced in fact they don't aspire to be the next reebok or ccm converse or the reebok pump they want to ensure that you're getting a truly special and unique product that has been personally approved by the athletes musicians and artists themselves they love adding little extras like custom labeling and one-of-a-kind zipper pulls cool stickers etc and their goal is to engage you in total hockeydom and they look forward to pushing the boundaries and exceeding your expectations of what a hockey brand can be they've got so many great things over there they've got the signature series with marion hosa and all kinds of great skaters the thrashers and slashers line 36 crazy fist bumblefoot david ellison Tom Hazart. Make sure you're going over to puckhockey.com and that's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com and make sure when you check out to enter the promo code TALK, T-A-L-K, and get 10% off your entire order. Yes, for my listeners, enter T-A-L-K at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Also, guys, make sure you're going over to Amazon.com, searching out the Talk To Me podcast, getting yourself a Talk To Me t-shirt. They're only 20 bucks. Free shipping if you have Amazon Prime, and they come in men's sizes, women's sizes, and even kids' sizes, so you can get the entire family a Talk To Me t-shirt. And when you get a Talk To Me t-shirt, Amazon writes me a nice little check, and all that money goes back into the Talk To Me podcast. And after a long deliberation with some fellow podcasters, I've decided to put a Patreon page together. If you want to support the podcast, it's monthly. You can do as little as $1 a month, and that would be so much help if you can do that. But it's uh, $1, 3 5 and even $10 a month, and uh, you, know, you get bonus content. You get updates on guests. You get the, the opportunity to ask one of my guests a question and a lot of other stuff. I'm going to continue to add stuff to it because I want to give you guys as much stuff. If you are helping me, continue the podcast i will help you out and give you as much bonus content as i can so head on over to patreon.com slash talk to me and that will be in the show notes if you need a, a link to click on and i'll also put that on the uh, facebook tweet it out and uh, all that fun stuff so yes head on over to patreon.com sign up to be one of my supporters and i will be so thankful This is Jason T. Smith of Thrift Hunters and Thrifty Business Fame, and you're listening to my boy Josh and his podcast, Talk To Me. You hear? I'm gonna pop some tags, only got $20 in my pocket. I'm looking for a drummer. This is fucking awesome. 
All right, now it's time for some shout-outs for sharing. Shout-outs for sharing the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want a shout-out on a future episode of the Talk To Me podcast, when you see this, hit that share button and hit that retweet button and let me know that you are sharing the podcast and you will get a shout-out on the next episode of the Talk To Me podcast. The shout-outs for sharing the Ro Coley episode of the Talk To Me podcast are as follows. Joel Baggett. Todd Lindley, Yancey Turner of Parish Lane, who are going on tour with Alien Ant Farm. How cool is that? Uh, Rico Kohler, Bick Thadawat, uh, War Machine Marketing, Ro Coley, also shared the Ro Coley episode of the Talk To Me podcast, Alan Crowder and Andy Hot and Zero King, Eric Hall and the Shoot the Shred podcast. I just want to say thank you to all you guys for sharing the podcast. Continue to hit that share and retweet button. And now to the guest of honor, which is Rich Ward, the Duke of Metal. He's on the podcast this week, and uh, like I go into the interview a little bit, uh, you know, this is like the third member of Fozzy. I've had Billy Gray and Frank Fonsere on the podcast, and then uh, also the third member of Stuck Mojo because Frank Fonsere, and then also Bones was on the podcast too. So if you guys are fans of either of those bands, make sure to go back and check out those episodes in the vault of the Talk To Me podcast. But uh, this is a lot of a lot of fun, man. Rich has a lot to say. We just go through so much with the uh, Stuck Mojo, the history, what's going on right now, the Pledge Music campaign, our thoughts on VIP packages, a lot of great stuff. And this is a very very long podcast. It goes by so quick. Even when I was listening to it to edit it, it was uh, it was so quick and so fast. And uh, I don't know how much I actually talk on the podcast, but. Uh, we have a lot of fun, and uh, we get into some nice debates about VIP packages and uh, you know paying for autographs and all that fun stuff. So make sure you guys are supporting Stuck Mojo, Rich Ward, Frank Fonsere, and the rest of the guys in their uh, Pledge Music campaigns. Those links will be in the show notes. Make sure to hit that up and uh, check out all the wonderful stuff they have on their Pledge Music for you to check out. And uh, so right now I'm going to play you a new Stuck Mojo song, and this song is called Charles Bronson. We'll go into the interview, and then I will see you guys momentarily. What's the cause and effect? Allow me to dissect. The laws are insufficient. The justice system is deficient. Through my point of view, none of this is new. His perspective for you. Punishment is due. My vigilance even deader. Roman with the Beretta. Fighting fire with fire. Stopping crime with crime, yo, I'm losing my mind, now you're under attack Sooner or later, somebody pushes back I gotta fight to protect my family From a corrupt and violent society My solution may seem like insanity I'm Charles Bronson, the vigilante I am Charles Bronson I'm the dark of the land, from the city to the valley I am Charles Bronson Take your eyes, take your name, till you better know the name son is an Elton Cash to me, so that's Ooh, nice. You know, Dad's like he's gonna be a he's got to be a singer, and he's gonna drop the last name. He's gonna be Elton Cash, and you know, so. <laughs> yeah. If he turns out to be an accountant, it, it's all gonna go wrong. Yeah, it's gonna be boring. <laughs> like, 
But, man, he it's so funny when I put on music and listen to metal and stuff around him. I mean, my other son was like that, too. But, you know, you put on some music and they just instantly just start moving around and, and bobbing their head. And, you know, he, he can just he just gets a big grin on his face. So we'll see what happens. I mean, my struggles in the music industry are probably going to steer him towards being accountants and, you know, lawyers and doctors and anything, yeah. but, a, anything but a musician. Well, and then the thing about it is just the way the industry is now. It's like there's more room for people to do this for fun. It used to be kind of like it cost a lot of money to make records. It cost a lot of money to do things. And now you don't really have to be a professional. You can have another gig. You can do other stuff and, and make and make records at, at home on a laptop. It's kind of a cool thing. It's on one side. The music industry is kind of in the tank as far as the recording side of things, at least for most bands. Um, yeah. But then, but the, for the hobbyist, it works out. So kind of cool. No, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely the, the, totally different than you know in the '90s when I was uh, you know struggling in in local bands and even uh, you know going on to do some some bigger stuff. Uh, just kind of just the whole concept of recording an EP back then was you know you had to find studio time you had to buy tape you had to buy this you had to buy that you know someone a producer and everything else and then now i've heard so many demos now that i'm like man that sounds like the new metallica album and it's like some dude in his garage you know with a laptop and uh you know a couple of uh, drum machines you're like jesus you know the so yeah the tools that you know kids have these days you know not to sound like old fogies or anything but you know the the tools that they have at their disposal if they're used properly can uh, catapult them so much faster i believe yeah totally agree man just kind of getting into it you know this is kind of funny you're now the third member of fozzy and third member of stuck mojo that's now been on the podcast and i'm just at like episode 42 so not like one third of <laughs> yeah. so you know billy came on episode two frank came on episode like 18 and then uh you know, the wonderful Bones came on a few episodes after Frank to defend his honor, but we're not going to yeah. get into that. <laughs> well, I, I, I was it was crazy because I um, Frank uh, called me a few months ago and he said, hey, man, there's this guy, a really cool guy who he's got a podcast and do you mind if I do it? And, uh, of course, that's just the cool thing about our band is that, of course, I don't mind that he does it. And, of course, nobody would, but we just kind of have, you know, we're a band and everybody communicates yeah. and that's really important for everybody to just kind of, um, you know, and also we were kind of in a, in a period of time where there was some, you know, there were, things were in flux and Frank's like, you know, what can I say and what shouldn't I say and that kind of stuff. And I think actually it was your podcast that broke that, you know, that, um, that lineup. Yeah, the story, but yeah, the lineup changed. Yeah, it was funny too because I did, even when, uh, when that came up in the podcast, I asked him, you know, just a random question about, I was like, so this new album is going to be, you know, Bones and Corey and Rich and you, right? And he was like, well, actually, and uh, I kind of felt bad after he answered the question because I thought I missed it. I was like, did I miss that they announced the lineup change? And, and I, you know, I I just left it alone and didn't even think about it. And then uh, and like a week later or so, I read, and I was like, oh, you know, the new Stuck Mojo lineup clicked on it. And it was like, you know, Frank Fonsery tells the Talk To Me podcast. And I was like, oh. I'm breaking news over here, and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, and part of that was is just because, you know, I didn't want to make any announcements about the new lineup without having music for people to listen to. That was so important. Um, you know, we after we did we did the reunion show uh, the day after Christmas, which was kind of the you know kind of homecoming at hometown Atlanta show, and then we did two shows in April, one in Charlotte, and then we did a festival. Uh, in Virginia. And yeah. we kind of knew 
the Charlotte and the Virginia show were together. Um, and it wasn't really until kind of after the Charlotte show, I was like, oh, you know. And all of us were the same way. We all kind of had the same there, – there is a sense of, uh, that people would like to frame this as a rich versus bones or bones versus rich thing, which it never has been. It's, it's always been a – we're a band and we make decisions as a band. And um, part of it was too, is that after the third show, which was uh, the festival, uh, I, I had already, Corey and I had spoken. Corey actually filled in uh, on bass for us, uh, for Fozzie on a European run that we did. And so, oh, cool. yeah, it was, was great. We were getting along really good. I mean, Corey obviously had, had got this offer to go play for St. Sonia. And he said, man, you know, I don't really know what's going on schedule-wise now because I'm the new guy, but I am in the band, and I'm I'm kind of waiting on confirmation of what the touring schedule is going to be looking like and stuff, but this is pretty much looking like my deal, my gig. Um, and because we had asked him to do more Fozzie shows as well because it was really a cool thing um, to, to for he and I and Frank to be on stage again together. But, you know... He knew, I knew, everyone knew with that line that the San Antonio thing was going to take off. There was no doubt that that thing was going to be uh, one of the bigger, you know, releases, certainly of the year, and possibly could could be one of the bigger bands of the genre. So the idea that we were going to carry on with Corey was obviously not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the all of those same kind of things that, you know, it, don't just take my word for it. It, it, it. Again, it goes back to um, when when Bones leaves the band, as he has a few times, it isn't like we splinter off and it's like two guys go one way and the manager follows this guy. It's like it's always just everybody else stays intact and then Bones leaves. And the reason is just it's not because we don't like Bones. Bones is a great guy. As a matter of fact, he stayed at my house many times. My wife loves him. I love him. My fam- my dad loves him. My dad's always like, how's Bones doing? You know, I, I mean, literally, he's, he's a sweet man, and he's a, he's a yeah. great entertainer, and he's a good dude. And I, you know, I like being on stage with him because he's crazy, right? I mean, he's the real <laughs> deal. And that's yeah, the thing absolutely. that that's what makes him such a powerful frontman is that it's real. There's none of this performance that he's putting on the show. What you see is what you get. And when I was in my twenties, dealing with that energy was, you know, for me, I was crazy too. I mean, we were fighting all the time, and I don't even mean within the, within the band. Of course, we did. I mean, there was all, all four of us, you, you know, we were in a van for 300 days a year. So we fought like cats and dogs, but we also fought as a gang against other bands and against fans. I mean, we, we, we were just like living like wild dogs, you know, for years on the road, which was great, which is what made us a great live band. And at some point, you know, when we started getting into our 30s, I think we all just started saying, man, this kind of energy is going to get one of us killed. It's just, and it wasn't, and it, it, the joy was gone. Now, we'd walk off stage feeling like we were doing something special and unique, but the joy of making music was gone because the, the relationships were so splintered and so fractured. And this was right when we were making the Declaration of a Headhunter record in 2000. And I just told the guys, I said, man, 
I just don't want to do this anymore. And everybody else said, dude, me either. So Frank and I and Dan Dryden, who was the bass player at the time, uh, and the manager and the booking agent and all the crew guys decided that we were going to do this 60 band, which basically was just Duck Mojo, but with a singer. Um, and then we were also doing Fozzie, and it was the same guys in that band, same crew, same manager, except for Chris Jericho was singing. So we we stayed together as a unit. Now, obviously, we had a couple of lineup changes, you know, over the 15 years since, or 16 years since that Glorious of a Headhunter. But the one commonality has always been that nobody ever left this organization to go play with Bones and his solo band, and that. That you know, for folks who are wanting to make this an issue of rich versus bones, it's like listen, everybody else was free to go play with bones the same way I was free to go do another project with bones or do stuff mojo with just bones and I. But right. and like I said, it all came down to you know just a sense that we just couldn't do business together anymore, and it was all of those things that made him such a special and unique artist is the things that made us decide we just didn't want to do it with him anymore. You know, it, it just became difficult. It became strenuous. And I, again, there are some things that I don't want to share because it's just stupid and I, I don't want to throw anybody under the, the bus, but there were some legal things that were keeping us from being able to do certain tours and stuff. And it was just got, it just, it just was, was it was at a place where we had to make a decision is this band going to move forward? Because if it's going to move forward, it, it's, we're going to have to make a change. And, right. and you know, I already started. It was the same thing that happened in Declaration. I mean, excuse me, it was the same thing that happened in Southern Born Killers, where I had written most of the album with the idea of Bones being the vocalist. The same thing I did with Here Come the Infidels. I'd already written three or four songs, and we were already into the process. So I was married. You know, You know, once I'm... Once I'm sitting there on the side of the river with the pole in the water, I'm going to fish. Done. We're going to make the record. And that's why we just had a band meeting and everyone sat together, including management and our agents, record company. And what are we going to do when we made a decision to, um, to, to move forward and just see what happens and see if there is another guy out there. And I met, I met Robbie, uh, Jay, who is now the vocalist of the band, I met him online. Uh, it, the timing was just, you know, it wasn't an accident. The day after we we split with Bones, I saw a video of him online, and it wasn't like I was on YouTube searching. Somebody sent me a clip, you know, of, of him, actually his guitar player from his band, Hasta La Murta, who the guitar player is a crazy good guitar player. I actually was part of me felt guilty about trying to, reach out to, to Robbie because I thought his band was so cool and I, that's why when I first talked to Robbie I said man listen I, I don't want to bust your band up you can please still do your band you know I have Fozzie and Frank has Fozzie and so this mm-hmm. is not like a you have to be in this band you can't do anything else let's work around each other's schedules I just want to work with you let's let's get together and do this um, and work on some songs and um you know, and after just working with him a few times, I mean, I really love him. I mean, he is a great guy, the same way that I love Bones and the same way that I love Frank. The difference yeah, is, Bones, is that... Uh, Go ahead. The, you, know, the, uh, the, you know, the Bones episode of the podcast, is it's almost become legendary because 
you know, basically for the first 20 minutes or so, I just argue with him because he gets, he was upset because during the Frank interview, I, uh, I asked Frank what it was like to be in a band with a real singer. And what I meant was a real singer as opposed to a rapper. And he, you know, Bones was just so just upset with me about calling him not a real singer. And he's like, I can sing and blah, blah, blah. And we just like went back and forth and, it was just so funny that I've, you know, I've had to have an argument with someone who is a better singer, Bones or Chris Jericho, and uh, you know, never in my million years would I think I would have that, you know, that argument. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a, you know, Bones is so intense. You know, you could tell like when we did the podcast, we talked for about 15 minutes beforehand and just chatted, and I was like, all right, well, we're about to start rolling. And once we started rolling, man, he like he turned it up a notch, and I can totally tell what you mean by you know being on stage with someone like that that can just kind of turn it on and be you know be an entertainer and be someone that uh, can probably grab an entire audience and and pull them in because you know he you know he had it you know he has a gift of gab and he you know he let it go so definitely yeah, he, an intense he is, person. He's an he, and that intensity is great. The problem is is that the great front men who can who can tap into that moment into the burst. It's it's the same thing as I mean you, you see these front men throughout history the ones who can't turn it off and have a real hard time leaving that on the stage are the ones where there's there's problems you know what I mean I, I wouldn't even have to bring the guys up you can name the ten or fifteen front men or guitar players who you read about in the news all the time because they can't leave that energy on stage and that's you know I mean you've got guys like you know. Dio and and uh, uh, Alice Cooper and Rob Zombie, who are absolute maniacs on stage, are just great. They have this this thing, and then when they come off stage, it's not like they're a different person. They just know how to bottle it. You know, it, it's the same thing as a race car driver who gets in his car and drives ninety miles per hour to the quick trip to get a soda. It's like no, no. <laughs> Wait till you're on the track. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't mean you can't drive fast and you don't have talent behind the wheel, but you, like, you know, you have to be able to, if, if you want to be an artist, and being an artist means that you have to work within, at least in, in, in a rock band, it means you have to work with other people. It's the same thing as, like, there are people who can play on baseball teams, who can play, you know, on soccer, in, in group sports. And then there's people who just need to play golf and tennis because they, they, they just, it's hard to play in a group environment because of what they carry. And, yeah. and I think that's kind of part of it for me is that, and I'm sure there are other guys who, who, who will be a great fit for Bones. And again, like you said, you know, you're talking about that argument over vocals, and it's, that was part of his thing. He was so mad online somewhere that I was talking about, I did a, I did a, a podcast with a friend of mine, um, talking metal, and I was basically talking about the difference. Same thing. What's the difference between working with the rapper versus working with the singer? And he was so offended, but I didn't mean any offense to it at all. Bones is a super talented vocalist. It's just different. What he does is not singing. Now, whether he has the ability to sing or not, he doesn't do that in Stuck Mojo. That's not his role. So just like my role, I can play bass. I'm a good drummer. I just don't do those things in Stuck right. Mojo. I play guitar. So, um, but it's those types of things that I, you know, which, you know, again, I just don't want to deal with it. And it's, 
you know, people are like, oh, Rich is just a teetotaler. He doesn't want bones to smoke pot. It's like, no, I want bones to smoke pot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I don't care. You know, I want I want everyone to be sober when we hit stage because we owe it to the fans. They pay a lot of money to come to the shows. A lot of people travel. You know, it's it's a deal to go to a gig, and it's expensive. And you know, you want to honor those people's investment, not just in the show, but also because they support your records and these experiences when people go to shows. And I'm I'm a fan. I mean, I go yeah. to shows all the time, and I hate it when I see a, a band when they're having an off night. One of my favorite bands is Foreigner. I'm just, I grew up in that era of late 70s, early 80s kind of American rock radio. And I love Foreigner. I love those songs. And, and I've seen them a couple of times and they were the best band ever. And I've seen them once where I thought they were terrible. And it bummed me out, not just because, you know, it was expensive, but also just because, you know, I want gigs to be special. So, yeah, I, I want guys to be sober on stage because we owe it to the fans the same way that if you play in the NFL, it's a good idea not to be hammered before you go out <laughs> on the field. <laughs> you right. know, can you can you have a couple of beers and still play in the NFL? I'm sure you can, but it's still not a great idea. If you want to be at the top of your game, go watch videos of Van Halen in 19 you know, 83 or something, you know, when they were all crazy hammered. And then go watch them <laughs> when Sammy was in the band and they were all getting sober, you know, when 5150 came out. And it was a different band altogether. And it's not that it was, not that I'm saying the Sammy era is better. I'm just saying as sober, Alex and Eddie were just on fire. Man, they were so much tighter and they were playing so much better. And, and that's just what I want for me. And that's what I want for my bandmates. Because ultimately, if, if the goal is that we're just going to be a punk rock band and we're going to go on stage and we don't care if it's tight and we don't care if it's, but we just care about being explosive, then sure, man, let's drink some Jack Daniels and freaking Huff Gas and <laughs> right. just do it. But it's just not, yeah, I think the only not... band that kind of kind of gets away with getting on, you know, going on stage is just completely blitzed was like, you know, the later days of Pantera where it was almost, you know, uh, understood that Phil was just going to be up there rambling about nonsense about, you know, snort heroin and, and just all the nonsense that he would yell in between songs. And, you know, that's the, like one of the only bands too. And I'd actually like to get a good Pantera story from you because I know Stuck Mojo toured a lot with Pantera, but, uh, you know, one, one guitar player that could sit there and just drink Jack Daniels all day and crown Royal and his, uh, you know, black tooth and stuff and just get up there and shred. So, you know, being those, dime bag, one of the, go ahead. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say, but those guys, they were professionals because touring with them, they poured heavy on the Coke and very light on the Crown Royal. <laughs> and then what they were pouring other people drinks, heavy on the Crown Royal, light on the Coke, because they, they enjoyed the party, but they, they wanted to watch it. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't, they didn't have a buzz. I'm just saying the, the, the mystique of Pantera being these crazy drunk and hammered out of their minds, it's like every night we played Dimebag was not drunk. There, there was yeah. none of that. Those guys were not drunk on stage. If they had a drink before they went on, something like and maybe there was a shot or two towards the end, but they, the idea that Pantera was a drunk band is just not true. Now, that's not to say that they hadn't you know, played gigs where that was the, the case, but every time I saw them, they were sharp as they could be until the very end when Phil, like you said, went into that era where things just got weird. And that just proves my point. I didn't like that era. I don't like, right. I didn't like the rambling, weird, uh, Jim Morrison era, Phil and Solo. I like 
you know, Cowboys from Hell, Far Beyond Driven, Cowboys, you know, I, you know, I, Vogue split in power that era. They were the best band on the planet. They, they couldn't be touched by anybody. I, I'll put them up against, and they were, they were a huge influence on me, and that's why I wanted to be the greatest guitar player I could possibly be for myself, knowing I would never be as good as Dimebag, knowing I could never be as good as Zach or Randy or Jake or any of the greats. But I wanted to try to be, which is why after the gig, I'd go to the hotel and play all night long. I mean, I was constantly playing because my goal was just to be great, not to get laid, not to get drunk, not to be famous, but just to be a great guitar player. And, uh, you know, and I want that for my bandmates. I want them to want the same thing, the same way. You'll never win the World Series. It will never go to the Super Bowl unless everybody is willing to work 100% of the time, all the time. And want yeah. it more than everybody else. Because, dude, how many bands are there putting out records now? You know, and and especially when you get older. Because the thing is, is when you get a little bit older and you've had a little bit of success, you know, maybe, maybe you get married and maybe you have a house, and all of a sudden you have responsibilities. And you can't just go get in the van and play for free for 300 days in a row because you're like, you got to tell your manager, no, I can't do that tour because the money's not good enough. And that's... That's the point when a lot of these older bands really start to lose steam because they're not as hungry anymore because they've got responsibilities and they've got kids and they've got, you know, and once you start having kids, that becomes, that has to become your priority because, I mean, this is a life that, that depends on you. And, and that's one of the reasons I never had kids. And I'm envious of a lot of my friends who I see them and having that relationship. And that's just a decision I made that, I was going to be a guitar player. I was going to be in a band and I was going to do it. I was going to wake up and play and write and record. Um, and you know, I missed out on lots of stuff going spring break to Panama city beach and Daytona and going to just all of those things that, that all my friends talk about, you know, going to the skiing trips. I never, I, I missed my entire twenties and thirties. I never did anything because I just was married to my band. And I, right. I don't regret, I don't regret any of it, but part of it for me is is that after waking up and realizing that family reunions and Thanksgivings and all of those things that I see that quality of life that my friends that I grew up with had, and I didn't have any of that. I mean, dude, I see my parents maybe once or twice a year, maybe, and and that's just a choice I made. So because of that, I. I I want to do this, you know, uh, I, I want to make sure that everybody is on stage with me, has the same passion, the same hunger, or, you know, or I'll just stay home and, you know, and write records and get a job at Walmart. <laughs> That'd be great. Welcome to Walmart. You could be one of the uh, door greeters, you know. I can do but it like I, a no, death I... metal voice. Welcome <laughs> to Walmart. That's actually one of the, you know, the one thing that I've noticed, you know, through Fozzie and uh, through Stuck Mojo is, you know, you're kind of, your death metal growl that kind of comes in occasionally. And I'm like, you know, have you ever done a solo album to where you maybe, uh, you know, sang the whole thing? Well, I did. Um, I did my, that solo record, the Duke, but that was more of kind of a melodic rock record. So, um, I did sing most of the vocals. I that's probably 85 or 90% of those vocals are me on that record. Um, but it's not an aggressive record. I have, you know, that was one of the thoughts we had. Frank was trying to get me, uh, Frank, obviously, for those who are listening, uh, Frank, our, our drummer, uh, Fonseret, um, 
when when we first kind of split off um, in after the declaration to the Headhunter record stuff Mojo album, there was a discussion about maybe me fronting the band, but I I just didn't have the self confidence to get out front and and carry it. I do like doing backing vocals. I think it's a cool thing. Um, it's but, a nice yeah. touch when it, when your when your vocals come through on a record. You know when your you know like your your growl comes through under you know either Jericho or uh, you know even Robbie J now. Like when those when that growl comes in under it, it's a nice touch. Thanks, man. And I've always liked bands like that where there's you know I mean one of my favorite bands is Pink Floyd, and I, I do like the fact that you know when David Gilmour is the lead vocalist on a song, occasionally Richard Bright has a little cool you know, pre-chorus section or, you know, or obviously, you know, Waters has a has a cool vocal thing. And I, I, I like that trade-off. I think it makes for an interesting dynamic, especially being uh, a rap rock band like Stuck Mojo is that one of the reasons that I'm not crazy about Reggie Against the Machine is that um, that Zach's voice is, is the only vocal that you hear through the entire album. And he is a he has a sound, right? He actually has a pitch. He has this thing. <laughs> right. He doesn't do anything but that thing. So if you get 45 minutes of music, you get 45 minutes of that thing. And to me, it's like, I, I, I kind of, you know, can, can I get a salad to go with that? Like, I just give me something else. And I think that was kind of part of our, the template from the very beginning with Stuck Mojo was to um, have a little bit of that variety, the way that Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons split things up and the way the Beatles did and taking some classic examples. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that The Who and all of these classic bands, there was some, some trading off of some vocals. And I think it makes things interesting, especially when, you know, we Bones was a, a rap style vocalist. So having having some melodic vocal in there and having the occasional death metal kind of bark vocal as a as a counterpunch to that, I felt like it was really effective and it really separated us, made us sound, um, gave us our own kind of unique uh, thumbprint from all the other kind of rap rock bands like Limp Bizkit or. And I think later on there were some other groups like Linkin Park came and they had the one guy who sang and the other guy who did the rap thing. So there were a couple of other bands that did it, but for the most part, if you were kind of a rap rock crossover band, you were pretty much just doing the rap and, and uh, then the, the three oh, black guys were doing the funky rock, you know? Yeah. So let's kind of get hit on that because, you know, in the history of new metal, rap rock, rap metal, I mean, Stuck Mojo has to be one of the first, if not the first like rap metal band, um, you know, to, to a traditional rapper rapping over metal rather than, you know, there's Run DMC Aerosmith, but that was just kind of a novelty. And then you got the Anthrax Public Enemy, still kind of a novelty, you know, just kind of goofing off. But I mean, like when you guys came out, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of this going on. And uh, just kind of where did that, you know, the inspiration for that come from? Well, in the late 80s, uh, you know, I, I'm a big metal guy. So um, most of my metal bands that I was in love with, uh, Maiden and Priest, and Accept, and the Scorpions, and Ozzy, they weren't making my favorite albums in 88 and 89. Like, like I... I I mean, well, I, I, no rest of the wicked was a great record. That was '88, but they, there was, um, you know, 
the later priest and maiden stuff in that era was not my favorite. I, I, I love Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith, like that 80s era. And I loved Peace of Mind and Power Slave. And, and there, was a, there was kind of this change where I felt like some of my favorite bands and metal bands weren't making great albums. And I discovered, um, as I'm looking for new things, I, I discovered uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Bad Brains and Fishbone. And then Faith No More, and then really just, it, it, it was one of the most amazing things that, that I'd ever heard was this new wave of bands who were doing things that were completely different from anything that I'd ever heard. And they were basically throwing the rule book away because, you know, rap guys were, were rap guys. You know, Run DMC and EPMD and Eric B and Rakim, KRS One, they were doing rap. And then, you had, uh, you know, White Lion and Trickster and the late 80s kind of hair stuff that was starting to happen. They had their sound. But all of a sudden, there was these dudes wearing shorts and had different hair styles and like, but they didn't seem to give a shit. Like it was something, it was like, it was, it was almost like a bunch of kids from the suburbs just said, I have had it with you know, uh, winger and I can't take it anymore. And all of a sudden they started discovering their dad's Al Green records and Parliament Funkadelic and started listening to black artists and finding these interesting, uh, moments where there's a cross section between what Eddie Van Halen was doing and what could be done with James Brown's funk beats. And I was fascinated by it. And, and right about that time was the time that I met Dwayne Fowler, who was the, the original bass player in Stuff Mojo, and he he was the first black musician that I'd ever played with. And he didn't listen to rock music. He listened to reggae and funk. And this was in 1989. And so in 1989, right as I was starting to listen to these interesting new influences, I meet this black musician with dreads who shows me his Burning Spear albums and Black Uhuru, and I start immersing myself in this this completely foreign style of music that I had never heard before. And and then the, the drummer, the original drummer of the band, was this guy who was into the police, and he was into Dave Weckl and Vinny Caliuta. His name is Richard Farmer. And that was the genesis of Stuff Mojo, was this kind of fusion-y funk drummer and this funk reggae bass player, and me, who grew up on Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, and and Angus Young. And then all of a sudden, it's like how these three guys, who probably shouldn't be in a band together, uh, <laughs> because we, we just have zero influences in common, we're just seeing bands like the Chili Peppers, and seeing Bad Brains and, and these and 24-7 Spies. And, and there was a, a local band in Atlanta called Follow For Now, and they were an all-black rock band, kind of in the same ilk as Fishbone, and they just changed my world. And then there was another band from Atlanta uh, called Nihilist, who was the heaviest band I'd ever heard. They were they were uh, recorded by Scott Burns, um, oh, wow. who, you know, who was doing all those Tampa-area heavy bands. And... So then I started discovering Sepultura and I started discovering Pantera and it was amazing. It was such a great moment of discovery for me. And that was right at the moment I met Bones because Stuck Mojo, we had a singer, um, 
and we were trying to do the kind of fake them more chili peppers, white guy, kind of rappy, kind of singy thing. And we auditioned a bunch of guys. And then I was working at Pizza Hut and Bones worked at Pizza Hut as a cook. And I was a driver and I used to just hear him rapping all the time. And I said, man, our singer, you know, he's a, he's a terrible rapper, but he's a great singer. Could you come over and maybe help him a little bit? Maybe you write a rap for him um, to see if you could kind of coach him. And Bones came over and started rapping over one of our songs, and I was like, uh, huddle up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> band meeting. Yeah, band meeting. You guys stand over there. <laughs> and then, you know, white guy singer, you're out. Black guy singer, you're in. And, <laughs> and, it, and that was it. And it was great because, I, you know, I, I grew up in a real mixed, I lived in downtown Charlotte, so I grew up in a real mixed neighborhood and a mixed high school. And so I was used to being around different cultures. But in high school, we had our own cliques. You know, I wasn't hanging around with the, the guys who were listening to freaking Bobby Brown. You know, I was, I was hanging around with the guys who were listening to Metallica and who were listening to, listening to ACDC and Ted Nugent. So this was the first time where I actually became really good friends with Two two black guys who had no interest in rock, whose who bones all he listened to was really hip hop, and some influences that he you know was came up with with his parents, which were you know kind of old soul influences, and then you had like I said, Dwayne, who had this funk and and reggae influences, and it changed my life. And sitting in that basement um, with with that lineup playing, we rehearsed every day. We didn't take days off. We just rehearsed every day, and you know I was. Uh, you know, over the several year period of time, you know, had different couches and stuff I would sleep on. But there's periods of time where the only meal I'd eat was we would all go to this place called Studebaker's, which was like a like a bar, and they had a happy hour. And if you if you bought the, uh, a Coke or a drink, uh, you could eat the buffet for free. So all four of us would go up there before band practice and buy the you know the dollar you know, Coke or Diet Coke and <laughs> eat the buffet until we were sick. And, <laughs> but, but it made us like we were a band, and that was great. It was such a cool thing. And then, you know, I mean, uh, a few years later, Dwayne was gone. Richard was gone. We went through several drummers. Um, Corey came into the band. Corey Lowry played for, he was in the band for two or three years. And then Dan Dryden was in the band for two or three years. And, and a lot of that reason is, is people will, you know, will say, oh, man, you know, why do you have so many lineup changes? Well, when you're broke and you're living together in a van basically all the time and you're being creative together and you're in business together and you're living together as a band, it's just such a crazy, hard, stressful strain on everybody. And you're also, we're also young. We're still kids. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're in your early and mid twenties, you and you're, especially if you're a dude, I mean, chicks get their shit together earlier than we do. But <laughs> right. you know, Absolutely. like I didn't have it figured out. My parents never taught me how to have relationships. My parents never sat me down and said, "Here's what you need to do." When this guy gets on your nerves, just let it go. It's not that big a deal. But no, I let it get on my nerves, so we would just fight all the time, or everybody would just put their walkman on and just not talk to each other. And I always try to tell people. If you think being in a relationship, dating a girl or dating a guy or being married is tough, go ahead and just be a polygamist and get you four or five of them. And that's right. what being in a band is. 
The only difference is is that after dinner, you have to tell your wife, no, I don't like those lyrics. They suck. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that thing in the band is like arguing over creative direction and you're in love with each other. And then when you're done with rehearsal, it's like you live in the same apartment. It's crazy. It's the most stressful, crazy thing that you could ever do. Um, but but the good news is is that as I've gotten older, you just you know you learn the mistakes that you made, and I've made as many, if not more, than everybody else. This is part of being a human. It is you know hopefully that all of those experiences and hardships are just opportunities for learning and growth, and you learn and you grow, or you just don't. And then time just leaves you behind, and you 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 can't move forward, and no one wants to play with you, and you and it just becomes difficult. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I've had a great relationship with Frank. I mean, I've known Frank since 1988. We went to go see Metallica play the Injustice for All tour together, and we've been you know best buds ever since. And we don't always get along, but we've learned we've learned where that balance is for the two of us. And we yeah, know Frank Fadre is a. Uh... Frank is definitely one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh, you know, he played in a primer with me for, you know, a few months or whatever. We're out on the road together. And, you know, I didn't know him from, you know, Adam when I walked on the, you know, walked on the bus, walked in the van. And, uh, you know, we sat next to each other and, you know, it's like, you like Kiss? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I like Kiss too. And he's like, sweet. And, you know, from then on, we're like best friends. But, you know, it was just nice to just travel you know the country with frank and just you know sit there and pick his brain and you know talk to him about just everything but yeah he's one of the nicest people that i've ever met and uh you know billy's the same way billy was you know with us too and uh just to see what they're you know going on to do with you know fozzy and then even you know with frank with the stuck mojo records and stuff and you know getting letting seeing them you know uh playing the huge festivals things like that is uh you know so uh quote unquote heartwarming or something for me you know i'm sitting back kind of watching it going you know like those two guys probably the nicest people in metal and, you know, they deserve, you know, everything that they're getting. Amen. And deserve more. I mean, Frank and Billy are the nicest guys, you know, and that's Jericho is too. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is that as I get older, I just want to be in a band with really good people. I want to be in a band when I go into the rehearsal space and we're writing. If we have a disagreement, we work it out. Like like humans, not like monkeys throwing shit at each other or dogs fighting. It's like what separates us from you know the animal kingdom is our ability to have empathy and to have understanding and to have complex emotions and and understand where to meet people, and and that's a hard thing to do. And it is a it can be it can be hard to compromise ideas that you have that you think is the best like. Relenting and saying, giving up and saying, "Okay, I'll let go of that riff." I believe in that riff, but I'm going to let go of it because two of my band members are telling me it's no good. And you just have to learn to let go because that's what being in a group is. If if if, you, if you're not okay with that, then you need to be Lenny Kravitz, and if you be the boss. <laughs> you call the name of the band Lenny Kravitz. You hire everybody, and and you do that. And that's you know, dude, Jericho. He's a he's a, he's a legitimate big celebrity. He has one of the biggest podcasts of the world. You know, he's one of the top wrestlers of all time. He, you know, obviously his uh, his tax bracket is substantially uh, higher up than the rest <laughs> right. of us. And yet, when we get together with Fozzie, 
we're just partners. That's all there is to it. He doesn't pull the, don't you know I sold out Madison Square Garden in WrestleMania? He doesn't pull that because we're it's it, we're a band, and and that's the reason people are, you know, you've been in a band with Jericho now for 17 years. Yeah, that's because we found that balance. We're two. Both of us are knuckle dragging, meat headed you know, argumentative know-it-alls, and yet we've figured out a, a formula that works for the two of us, where we both, you know, know how far we can push each other creatively and, and where that moment is where we need to let go of it and let the other guy have his way. And uh, and that's why we've had success in that band, and, you know, why we still do it. I mean, we're writing a new Fozzie record now, so it's 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 interesting to to see that, if you're willing to put the work into it, you're willing to humble yourself and realize that you don't have all the answers. And that reason you're in a band is so that you can be better than who you are by utilizing the talents and the gifts that the other guy and your uh, guys in your band have. Right. Yeah. The one thing with with Jericho too is, you know, I was into wrestling as a kid. You know, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, all that era. And then, you know, I kind of get into metal early '90s. And just, you know, uh, just straight, you know, stayed straight, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, you know, all that stuff. And I just lost interest in wrestling. So I don't know Jericho from wrestling. I know Jericho from Fozzie and I know Jericho from his podcast. And, you know, I know him from other things and all the entertainment that he does. So, you know, like I was just on a WrestleMania special as a guest, you know, as a guest podcaster and uh, had to kind of watch wrestling again. And I hadn't seen it in so long. And, you know, it's funny to watch, you know, hear him talk to other wrestlers and it's cool to hear that, that those conversations, but that's definitely not where I know him. And uh, when you guys came through Louisville a few years ago, you know, uh, Billy and Frank had me out. I go and check out the show. And, you know, it's the same thing, and I'm sure you guys get it. Every time you guys play, I was like, you know, this guy is a wrestler. He's in a band. I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to dig this or not. And a couple songs into the set, I was like, man, this is an amazing show. And you made those comments uh, on uh, Mark Striegel's podcast that's his name, right? I'm sorry yep. if I messed yep. it up. No, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, on Mark Shigel's podcast where you were like, you know, you put him up there with, with some of the top front men, you know, out there. And when you said it, I was listening to it. And I was like, I was like, I, I agree. I agree 100% because he's, you know, he can work a room and, you know, he's got a cool voice and he's got a cool look. And, you know, the whole time you guys played a small club, but I mean, it felt like, a you know, we were playing, it felt like it was a gigantic rock show. And, you know, a few songs into the set, I was just like, I was sold. I was like, I 100% uh, back this band now. So, yeah, I, and the other thing is just that you know, when you you know, when I make a comment like I put Jericho up there with all of the you know all the the great front men, I put Frank up there with the great drummers too, and, and it's you know you you always have. And I don't, I don't ever take it personal. It's like I go to Blabbermouth every day. I actually, I love that website. And and I know there's, you know, people, there's a lot of musicians who, who get down on Blabbermouth because they, you know, they, they, you know, they have their thin skin and they don't like the comments. It's like, listen, there's so many bands that are killer that I just don't like. You know, there's so many movies that people rant and rave about. They got the freaking Oscar. And I just yeah. sucked. <laughs> I had no use for it. So when someone says Rich Ward sucks, Jericho can't sing, Stuck Mojo's stupid, rap rock is gay, it doesn't matter to me. Dude, I, most rap rock, I can't stand it either. There's so <laughs> many of these bands that just think are terrible. And and I make records for me, for my palate. The only way I can kind of describe it to folks is that I, I'm a chef, and people do come to my restaurant and eat. 
But ultimately, I'm cooking from my palate. So when I'm making records, I'm making records that speak to me. I don't, I don't have like this target audience and I'm writing songs thinking, yeah, I really want to reach out to the Megadeth audience or, or I really want to reach out to the whoever, you know, like the big guys like Avenged or Bullet. You know, I, I don't even think in those terms. I think of like, I want to write riffs that, that I love and I want to write you know, melodies that I love. And people are like, God, man, that, that melody is so freaking gay. And so like, I, I, it could possibly be gay. I don't know. <laughs> when it I like wrote it, riffs. when it came out of my mouth, I loved it. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. to me, I, I just think that's, that's 99% of the bands that are out there. That's what they do. They write, they're, they're cooking for their taste. And not everyone's going to like certain spices and not everyone's going to like certain things. And I, I just am okay with that. You know, it's, and I, again, I, I've watched guys that I'm in a band with read comments sections and just get so mad. It's like, why are you mad? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst thing you could do is go to the comment section. Definitely, you know, YouTube comments and blabbermouth comments are probably two of the worst places to go and look for any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of confirmation on it, you're doing a good job because you're not going to get it there. Well, and I don't look for comments for confirmation. I actually read a lot of the comments on Blabbermouth because the thing is, is that if you're going to take the pats on the back, you better be willing to read the negative stuff too. Because the people who insulate themselves and only want to hear the good stuff and they're not willing to, to listen to what other people say, listen, I'm not going to change what I do. I'm not going to change the direction of stuff mojo or fozzy and i'm like i'm so but i do read it from the perspective of it's interesting to get inside the the minds of how other people receive and think about your stuff i mean and then on top of it you know you've got the political components of you know the lyrics in stuck mojo too which is in either an, an additional kind of level of of critique that folks have and again I think when it comes down to it, if you're comfortable in who you are and you're you're comfortable within your own skin and you make records with 100% pure motives and you get into that room with your guys and you record those things with the producer that you love. I mean, I'm so, I have such a man crush on Andy Sneak. He's such an amazing <laughs> producer and I love him as a guy. I would just hang out with him, right? I mean, I'd be roommates. If my wife dumped me, I'd move in. Like we just Randy, <laughs> I'm coming over. Yeah, and 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 that's special. Are there better producers? I don't know. Maybe there are, but not for me. I mean, I love working with him the same way that I like playing with Frank because, like, I'm an okay guitar player. Like, I know who I am. Like, I know what I do. But there's a million kids that go to the guitar center that are better than me. When I play with Frank, I'm a better guitar player than I am when I'm playing by myself because the way we play together, um, we just lock in, and he makes me a better player, and I make his drumming sound better and more exciting because we have good chemistry. So that then the goal is just to try to find the bass player who can then be that third wheel on that on that rhythm section and then find that vocalist who sees your vision, you know, uh, lyrically, and at the same time has the same kind of creative energy, but can also add a different element. And then 
what it does is it takes, instead of it just being me cooking, now there's four guys in the kitchen and we're all making this. And then, again, you know, I read all the time, man. I, I love the music, but I just don't like the, the vocals. Well, I love the vocals on, on this Stuck Mojo record. And, and you know, it's, uh, again, it, it's interesting to read the comments because it's nice to get inside the, the heads of folks. And I respect those people too. It's not, it's not like I think they're wrong because they're not wrong. Right. They're they're right for them, you know. The same way when people say, you know, dude, have you heard the new, whatever, Dream Theater or Opeth or name another band that's freaking amazing? I mean, Dream Theater is one of the greatest bands on the planet. But when I hear them, it just doesn't connect with me. Right. It's not, you know, it just it, it it's like whatever, a movie, like, my wife loves freaking movies with Sandra Bullock in it, and there's the rule, Sandra Bullock's in the movie, <laughs> I have not watched it, like, because I know, it doesn't suit my palate, the same way that if it's got, you know, Sylvester Stallone, she's probably opting out as well, but that's okay. So the miscongeniality, you know, uh, night at the Ward House is not happening? No, it's not happening. <laughs> the, mar- the, the marathon? <laughs> no, but I don't try to make her watch Schwarzenegger, and she doesn't try to make me watch McConaughey. It's just we we we've worked it out, and that's what being in a relationship's about. And like I said, being in a band is that same thing. It's finding out what what you know, where you two are at your strongest. Where's the guitar player, vocalist, drummer, bass player? Where are you at your strongest? And playing into that, and steering away from the stuff that's not natural, and steering away from the stuff where you're weaker. And then I think that's for me when you when I'm you know, when we wrote the Stuff Mojo record, we spent we spent a year on it, and and I don't mean every day because we were touring some Fozzie. We did several Fozzie tours, and there was some stuff that was in between. But we did spend a lot of time to make sure that these notes were right, and these words were right, and these grooves were right, and that it sounded the way we wanted to sound it. So, you know, um, when it when it comes down to it, I stand by it, man. I I do. I stand by it. Yeah, it's definitely some, you know, the two songs that I've heard off of it so far are just, you know, it's fantastic. And I had, a, you know, some listeners submitted questions a few episodes ago, and someone asked me my opinion of the new Stuck Mojo. And my opinion was, I think it sounds great. I think Robbie J is similar enough to Bones to where if you're a true, hardcore, old-school Stuck Mojo fan and you hear those classic songs when you guys play them live, you're gonna you're not going to be upset. But I think that Robbie's got an, a unique voice enough to where he can stand on his own and be his own singer too. So I think you, I think you nailed it on the singer. I think that was a, you know, a perfect fit for for what you guys needed. Thanks, man. And I, I, I agree. I think he, and the other part about him as well is that he, he, he's a he's a hip hop kid, but he's also a metal kid. So you know, and he's younger than us. So he came up in the era of Slipknot, and he came up in the era of these different bands that. You know, I mean, Stuck Mojo was a band for, you know, over a decade before Slipknot was a band. So this is a, we came from a different generation. So he, he has a different set of influences than we do. And it's great working with people who, you know, came up in a different era than you did. So they, his input, I mean, you know, despite, you know, what people, and here, let me just say this. I, I, I tend to, when I do these, these interviews, I tend to just act like I'm speaking to everyone who knows who I am and 
everyone who, <laughs> because it's almost like I, I feel like I just want to have a conversation with you, right? I'm like, you and I are just having this conversation about music. And, and so sometimes I'm a little more relaxed and I'm not filling in the gaps, but I, I'm, I'm just going to assume that, that people have, if they've listened thus far to me ramble on for 45 minutes, that they at least have some idea of the history of my career. But the idea that somehow I control all of this stuff and that I'm the only guy who writes and that I, I, I boss everybody around. I mean, Robbie probably wrote, wrote 65, 75% of the lyrics on the record. He, he is a, an amazing lyricist and he wrote a lot of his rhyme patterns. Just a couple of bits and pieces that I wrote. Um, because there's th- songs that I wrote before he was in the band that I was writing, you know, as in the early stages but once I got into the space with him and realized how talented he was, I turned the reins over to him because he's better than me. Like I'm not right. a better writer than he is. And the idea of me trying to maintain control of all of the lyric messaging and all of the uh, the way the vocals are delivered, I, it would have been a, we- a worse record, in my opinion, had I tried to maintain control than allowing someone who was much more talented than I am um, deliver those vocals and 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 write them and, and I'm, again it was a great process because he's an interesting guy. Robbie is a, has more of an artist kind of soul to him. He's not this crazy loud guy that when you're sitting at dinner is trying to hog the conversation because that's Frank and I. Frank and I are <laughs> trying to talk over each other to like make sure that no one else gets a word in, and he's. Robbie's very quiet. He, I never met Kurt Cobain and I never met Lane Staley. Just, but from seeing lots of video footage and interview footage, he reminds me uh, of what those guys must have been like, and that he's he's kind of shy. He, um, and what I mean by shy, meaning that he he's not boastful. He doesn't have this thing where he feels like he's having to prove himself and he has to be the loudest voice in the room. Um, but he, he's very he's very smart, and I don't know if it's because he's just super well-read or if his parents are very intelligent or if he just went to the best schools, but <clears throat> he is a very wise guy. We had this political discussion at dinner one time with a, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Chandler, who owns a uh, studio that we recorded a lot of the record at, and Chris is a, he has a brilliant mind, um, and so it's he and I and Sneep, and we're all talking about politics, and I'm telling them about how I want to do this video that's super offensive, and you know just to push back against this PC culture, and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and and Robbie just he was listening to everything we were saying, and he just. Once there was enough room where we all were taking a breath, he just spoke up and he said something that was just so insightful and it was so wise and it was so intelligent. It was like, holy crap, here here we have a bunch of old guys standing around being a bunch of know-it-alls. And here he is, he just says something that's so insightful and so smart. And that's when I realized, it's like this guy, he's not just a great writer. He's not just a great vocalist, but he's a really smart person. And he, he really thinks things through. I don't know if you've ever been around these kind of people who they're very surface in their arguments. Like, um, it's very, um, uh, in other words, they don't peel the onion back. A lot of it's just the kind of the slogans and bumper sticker stuff. Cause that's the easy stuff just to kind of shout things out. But the really pulling back the, 
you know, the layers uh, and, and dissecting an issue. And he has that kind of mind. So working with him lyrically has is, is been really cool because he, you know, dude, he can do a boast rap just like as good as anybody. You know, the, the freaking public enemy NWA lay down, tell everybody how great we are. But if, if he really just wants to dissect an issue, he's, he's really smart about it. And his, his way uh, of alliteration is great. And I, I just really like him, man. I'm, I'm really. I think happy. if you get too much into, uh, if you get too much into, you know, this, these are the words you're going to say. This is how you're going to say it. You know, there's no passion behind that. So if you allow someone to take over and let them do their own thing, you know, they come with more passion. I mean, if you sat there and told Frank, like, no, you need to hit the kick drum here and here and here and not there and there and there, and you know, that's just going to upset him, and you know, it's not going to put much of passion into it. But if you allow people to be creative, you know, there's so much more passion there. And uh, that's kind of what it sounds like, you know, when you l- allow him to, you know, kind of write the, the the lyrics and things like that to, uh, you know, express himself. Then he's going to give that much better, much better of a performance. Yeah, it's, especially because he's great. There are there are a lot of musicians who are excellent musicians, but maybe just aren't great writers, and they know their role. I mean, I played with guys before who were just such badasses and can sing their ass off, but when it comes down to it, they just you know, they, they've they either come up playing covers and haven't found their voice yet as an artist, so they don't quite know who they are, so um, they don't quite know what to say within the context of the song, so they take a back seat in the writing process, but their, you know, their creative input as an instrumentalist or as, or as a singer, you couldn't, in other words, not everybody can be the pitcher. Not everybody can be the quarterback. It takes everybody on the field in order for the team to be great. And there are going to be some people who are going to be leaders on stage who in the studio will take a backseat role and, and vice versa. There'll be guys in, in the studio who are really leading the writing process who on stage um, who, who are not the, the focal points. I mean, you, you got a guy like Izzy Stradlin who, you know, he wasn't, that he wasn't Axel or, or or Slash, but he was very instrumental in some of those really important songs on that first Guns N' Roses record, and and I think you'll find that in a lot of bands that, that that you know everyone has to just find their spot and find out where their strengths lie and play into that, and not again, not everybody can be the quarterback, and that's that's the the thing that a lot of bands will will fail is when everyone um, doesn't realize that you have to play to your strengths and you have to play in your position. And and then the band will succeed as a whole. Absolutely, absolutely. So <clears throat> I'm going to start kind of, you know, uh, landing this plane here. So I've got a couple more questions for you. And then, uh, you, you know, with, with Jericho being Canadian and then now Robbie J being Canadian, now what's the uh, what's the obsession with Canadian singers? You know, that was so funny. Some, I saw some comment that was, uh, somebody put, I don't even remember where it was. It was like, could you have not found another black guy from, from the South? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, black rapper in Atlanta is probably hard to find, right? There's like 10 million of them. But the thing is, I never <laughs> even think of, I never even think in terms of color or rapper right. or whatever. It's, it's, it's the strangest thing. It's like when I met Jericho, um, we met as friends and we had a common interest in music and we, we played a show together in a cover band, which was Fozzie Osborne when it started off. We had great chemistry. We had a lot of fun together and it just grew out of that. You know, the whole idea of, you know, there had been bands who have been assembled by managers. There had been bands who've been assembled by record companies. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but everything that, that I've been a part of has been pretty organic and I've made mistakes and there have been some, some choices of some guys that I've, I've gotten that I was like, oh, well, that, that base player didn't quite work out. We had a couple of short-lived, you know, lineup changes that, that didn't work great that only went, you know, 10 gigs or something like that. But it didn't mean they weren't good. They were great. It just it didn't work. The chemistry didn't work. But the older I get, the more I, I you, your instincts get better, right? I mean, you, you start to hone these things in. The, the old adage of the more you do something, the better you get. It's just a proven fact, you know. If you if you're if you practice and you put the time into it and you really work hard at getting better, you, 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 those skills will be refined. And as I've in, been in bands for, you know, most of my life, my ability to see how to visualize how that chemistry works, even before I get into a rehearsal space is better because I just have a lot more experience at it. And, um, the only thing that sucks about getting old is you start, you know, you, you're, you're, you, I'm getting a little bit of arthritis, which freaking blows. I hate it, man. You know, and I know it happens for everybody. All these guitar players, you know, who are, are getting into their forties. I talk to a lot of them. And then you get these guys in the fifties and sixties who are really struggling and drummers like Nicola McBrain, who I heard on Chris's podcast talking about having arthritis and it just happens. The, the plus side is, is that, you have wisdom in your playing, and if you're really committed, I mean, obviously there are musicians who don't give a shit, and they, they all they want to do is figure out ways to make money with their music and their buying swimming pools or racing cars, and no problem with that if that's what they want. But there are people like Devin Townsend who are still motivated by being the greatest in the world at what they do, and and making passionate music that speaks to them, and that they they challenge themselves. And Devin's one of my my heroes because. He's constantly looking to challenge himself and to, to better himself. And as Devin and I get older, there will be some physical things that will happen. I mean, when we're in our 60s, I'm sure we'll still both be playing. And uh, I can still do a toe touch on stage off my off a half stack. <laughs> um, but I don't know how many years I got a full freaking spread Eagle Daily Raw toe touches. I don't know how many of them I got left before <laughs> before I wipe out. But the, but the goal is is that just like a pro athlete, you know, uh, you know, you, you just learn how to change your game a little bit. If you listen to the guitar solos in the new Mojo record, there aren't as many super fast guitar solos like I used to try to play in the '90s, because my right hand, I'm, you know, like I said, I don't quite have that speed, and that speed's not. It's not that it's not there because I don't practice because I play every day. But it's just the physical, you know, restrictions of what's happening to my body. But I will say that some of my favorite guitar solos I've ever written are on the new Mojo record. And part of that is just because you just have to be aware of it and you have to be aware of what you're doing. So, um, you know, I've been really working on uh, my melodic phrasing. I've been listening to lots of cool late 60s and early 70s players like Robin Trower and guys who... <clears throat> You know, I mean, the classics, right? Hendrix and Billy Gibbons and Angus Young and, and David Gilmore, these guys who it's all about phrasing and how to bend the notes and, and what you're saying and that stuff. And that, there's plenty of fast bursts of speed in my solos on the new record, but it is it is not about laying down just suppressing speed and fire for me at this point. It's about 
finding that balance between being super aggressive, being tasty, and also working on tone. Because, I mean, when I listen to that, the Black Album by Metallica, my favorite guitar solos on that album are James's. I just think yeah. he, he played beautifully on that record. And the right solos and the right notes and the right tone. And, and for me, that's what I want. I want to play the right solos and the right notes. And again, uh, it may not be the right solos and the right notes for everybody, but they have to be the right ones for me, right? Because ultimately, if if I believe it, it's going to be easier for everyone else to believe it. That's uh, definitely words to live by, man. And uh, let's just kind of end it off with, uh, you know, we've got the Pledge Music campaign for the new Stuck Mojo. I've kind of broke it down on a past episode. I gave a good 10, 15-minute rundown of, uh, you know, what items you guys have going on. But uh, just from your standpoint, you know, uh, just kind of let everybody know about your Pledge Music campaign for this new Stuck Mojo record. Yeah, well, the whole idea with Pledge was um, as things, you know, the, the, as the music industry is retracting a bit, meaning the amount of uh, albums that are sold every year is is less and less, right? So all musicians and even people not in the industry know that. I mean, just because uh, people are getting their music differently, they're they're listening to music you know, streaming and through whether it's YouTube or Pandora, or like it's all, all, all different places where folks are, are going. And a lot of people are just listening to satellite radio. I mean, folks are listening to Jose and, and they're not buying CDs like they used to. So the idea for us was self-finance the album. Um, don't cut corners, spend the money on the right producer, the right studio, uh, fly back and forth to England twice like we're we're not we didn't do this like okay let's do a bake sale and you know and and <laughs> you know make a shitty record I mean we 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 didn't we didn't even think about the budget we spent the money we we just thought about the product whatever it takes to make the best album possible and and then the idea was um, our our manager Mark Willis uh, who I kind of alluded to him in, in this podcast a few times, Mark Willis has been with the band since 1992. He's basically uh, every bit as important, if not more important than the rest of us. Um, in the same way that Rod Smallwood, uh, you know, has been important to Iron Maiden. And I only draw that parallel just in that their roles within the band were both very important. Obviously, Iron Maiden, super huge, popular band, Rich Ward's bands, super unknown, super poor. Uh, let me show that <laughs> distinction. <laughs> but when it comes to his role in this band, he, I trust him. I'm terrible with money. I'm, I, I, you know, because I don't think about it. I only think about making great records. And, you know, if I make a little money at a tour, I go buy a Les Paul or I go buy a Marshall amplifier or something, you know, and then he's like, stop spending money. You're, you're out. And I was like, okay, I'll sell this strat. And I'll, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. you know, it's my life, right? I'm like still 22 years old. Like I'm irresponsible. And, and Mark said, we need to take a look at pledge. There's a guy at pledge uh, his name is Rich. He's the vice president of Pledge, and he's interested in working with the band and, and gave a rundown of what they do and how it, some bands do, do the, the kind of crowdfunding thing where they have you go to, to, to Pledge and then you help to pay for the album up front. So they give you perks and stuff, but you don't get to hear the music because the album's not even made yet. 
we made the album up front. So the idea was that Pledge would just basically be like our merch stand at a gig, except for just be online. So you could just go there and you pick what you want. You know, you want to buy a CD, you want to buy a signed CD, you want to buy a, a vinyl. And I had like some issues because, you know, they were like, well, you should, you should sell a signed CD too because they're, you know, they're big sellers. Like, oh, God, I feel pretentious, like asking five bucks more for my signature on a CD. It seems stupid. Like, they're like, you know, having a CD with my name on it shouldn't be five bucks more. But in any case, part of like part of like humbling yourself to realize that you gotta pay the bills. But <laughs> right, so we're, no, that's we're, just a hard thing too. Not to cut you off, but I mean that's just a hard thing for bands these days too. I mean, there's so like many bands out there that are you know have VIP packages. You know, I think Fozzy has a nice VIP package, and you know the. To me, when I was a kid, I would go and I would stand out back behind the venue and, and wait and wait and wait. And, you know, maybe when they were walking between the venue and the bus, I might get a quick, inter, you know, a quick uh, autograph or quick photo or something. And uh, it, so to me, it's like it's so hard to, to, to wrap my head around a VIP package to where I'm going to pay an extra how many ever dollars to like get, you know, get a nice. I mean, you get a nice interaction. And, I'm, and I know you guys did uh you know, you did live songs and, and maybe let them watch soundcheck and all that stuff too. But uh, yeah, to, to my my 13 year old self, that would go down to the you know, the local venues and just uh, harass bands. You know, the VIP package to me is always hard to uh, wrap my head around. Me too, and it, it is. I mean, it really is. It's difficult because in the 90s, again, I can only I'm relating my experiences of how the music industry has changed. In the 90s. We sold a lot of records because the record industry was still booming. This is pre-internet. So um, the record company would give you tour support. This is how this whole thing worked, which is that we we got an offer to open up for Machine Head. And the uh, the offer for Machine Head was, hey, you guys have – Machine Head wants to share a bus and share a crew. So we did the math, and we realized for a 10-week tour, it was going to cost us. $50,000. $50,000. And it was a little more than that, but I'm rounding it up. So, so 50,000 bucks. I don't mean this is after our pay. This is after everything we make. We're, we're like guesstimating merch. We're guesstimating all of the, uh, of the expenses and everything. And when it's all said and done, it says, Hey, we're going to lose $50,000 on this tour. So then Century Media, our record company cuts a check for $50,000 for us to do the tour. We did the same thing with Life of Agony. We did the same thing with Typo Negative. We did lots of tours, and that's how record companies in the 90s, and I'm sure it was in the 80s as well, they were investing in these tours because you were selling records, and they wanted you to stay on tour because when you stayed on tour, you were selling albums for the record company. That's how, you know, it was basically advertising. So when record sales went away, there's no more tour support um, because the record companies are, you know, I mean, bands are selling a fraction of what they used to. Now, they're, occasionally, you can get the record company to give you a little bit of money, but it has to be the right tour in the right scenario. Um, but, but, but most of that has gone away. And so for bands, that's basically where the VIP package came in, is that in order for us to be able to do this tour, here's the budget transportation, showers, uh, crew members, all, what, what, if 
you're bringing a, a mixing console, if you're bringing any lighting, whatever your expenses are, write them down. Okay, what are you getting paid? Now, granted, your manager's going to take 20% of gross. Then your booking agent's going to take 10% of gross. So then that's 30% of everything you make right off the top goes to pay for the folks who are busting their ass behind a desk. So then take that off the top. Um, and then take your crew salaries and any of that expense, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, we can't even go out on tour because we're going to lose money. And then (laughs) there comes then the VIP packages come in, and they they basically have become what tour support was for us in the 90s. And it, it was weird at first to do it because it seems odd to have fans pay to spend time with you, but we've 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 done something different. And we've, you know, we've done several different things. One was we used to do dinners. Like, we would rent a restaurant out and have dinner with, with folks. So you basically oh, would be, cool. yeah, it was really cool. So you really had quality time. It's like if someone said, hey, man, you could have dinner with Dio if you pay 150 bucks. I'd be like, what? I mean, you know, <laughs> I pay, I pay 1500 bucks at dinner with Dio. So... You Until know, your manager told you not to, and you would have to sell some Telecasters, and, and it's, <laughs> it's this whole right. ordeal. So yeah. <laughs> so that's the whole the whole point of it is trying to find creative ways where you're giving fans value, and you're making them feel like um, there's a reason, and at, and at the same time, it's it's an ability for us to be able to put that money back in for us to be able to tour. So that's uh, so segueing back to. Before we jump on this too much, before you jump on that too much, I mean, what I wanted to say was I'm not against any of the VIP stuff, and I understand it. But for me, that like that was like part of my my childhood that I would, uh, you know, I would do that. I would go out. I would know, you know, like some of the hotels that maybe bands would stay in, and I would stalk the hotels, and I would meet Pantera that way. But that was also kind of a game that we would play as kids to like, you know, meet our heroes, and you know, a lot of the fans now that or offered these VIP packages. Had I been offered a VIP package when I was 14 and, you know, or 16 when I had a job and some expendable cash, you know, I probably would have uh, jumped on a VIP package. And, you know, if, if, if you offer it and someone buys it, you know, the VIP package, there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, a Rich Ward signature model guitar autographed and, you know, you, you a stage play guitar that you sell every night, any of that stuff. Because of the way the record business is and the record companies and touring and all that stuff, I mean, pretty much you need to find avenues for revenue any way you can. So, I mean, I'm not putting them down. I just think if I was in that situation to where, you know, um, you know, to where someone would have to pay to meet me or pay to hang out with me, I think I would be very uh, morally, you know, just uh, disturbed at that point. Yeah, and me too. And that's why the VIP experience, if we're going to do it, it has to be different than the experience that you would have if you met the band at Waffle House or at the hotel or outside the venue. Like, in other words, that still happens. I still hang out and talk to folks all the time. And, you know, I don't want it to get to the point where it's like, well, we can't talk to folks outside because it's going to compete with our VIP. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no you know, yeah, it can never happen. That's freaking lame. Like, I love, that's part of, like, one of my favorite things about touring is just, like, meeting folks, especially people I've met many times. You actually start building friendships with folks, and you start, you know, you start feeling like, ah, oh, half of my best friends are people that I've met on tour. So, so that's why the VIP package has to be something different. It has to be 
get into the show early, watch Soundcheck, where the band plays songs that they're not going to play that night at the show. Or do like what Stuck Mojo, we're doing pizza parties. So we just get pizza <laughs> and everybody hangs out and we just eat pizza and we talk about metal. We're basically doing what you and I are doing right now. So we spend, you know, basically 30 or 45 minutes just talking about stuff and, and, and it, it allows us to, hey, the, and the band gets to eat pizza. So it's like, it, it's a win-win for everybody. And then you watch a couple of songs, but you're right. If it's just stand next to the band and take a photo and shake a hand, for me, I feel a little weird about that because that, right. to me, shaking a hand um, and taking a photo is just something that I, it's just part of like the experience of being, you know, having a relationship with your fan base. So that's why I say a VIP package needs to be something different, something unique that, that has value beyond me just saying uh, shaking my hand should be worth 50 bucks because that's, that's kind of, mm, that feels icky to me, right? I need to take a shower right. after you saying it, right? Yeah, the only time that I ever, I remember the, actually, I guess the first time I ever really heard of, uh, you know, you can meet the band or you can meet the artist for how much ever money. It was, I saw Ace Freely, actually, it was Peter Chris opening for Ace Freely at a small club in like the mid 90s, and uh, it was 25 bucks to meet Ace. And I was like, I'm not paying anybody for an autograph. And like to this day, I was like, why did I not pay 25 bucks to meet Ace Freely? But you know, it's just such a crazy time. Yeah, and the idea is is that too is that every artist should decide what they're okay with, just knowing that it's it's not like we're living in in Iran or or the former Soviet Union or North Korea where it's forced upon someone. This is, you know, if someone wants to spend 25 bucks to meet Ace Freely, hey, exchange, that's a free market, right? It's like somebody right. says, God, why would you spend 25 bucks on a steak? It's like, let that be between the steakhouse and the guy who eats the steak. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, you know, a transaction complete. Whatever they feel comfortable with. If if freaking Ruth Chris feels comfortable charging fifty bucks for a steak, and someone feels comfortable paying fifty bucks for it, then nobody's hurt. <laughs> you know, as far as exactly. I'm concerned, that's fine. That's why I always, when people say, "God, I can't believe bands are charging two hundred fifty or three hundred bucks to go see a show," it's like, hey, if 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 it's not worth two hundred fifty bucks, no one will spend the money. So stop complaining about it. And, and, and the market always flushes that out. If, and that's why Brian Adams played locally here a couple of nights ago. A friend of mine lit, said that the place had 4,000 people there. But th my wife and I wanted to go, but tickets were 250 bucks. It's like, yeah. I'm not spending 250 bucks. So Brian Adams has to decide. Uh, what <laughs> well, I want Rich Ward in the audience. That's right. Well, that's it. He has to decide what he thinks he's worth. But guess what? We get to decide what we think he's worth, too. And eventually, the market will determine what that value is, just like Kid Rock has figured out. He's like, dude, he, he does the expensive seats up front, and every other ticket is like 20 or 25 bucks. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's, he was just like, here not too long ago, and I think the... the you know the yeah the expensive seats up front. I think it was like fifteen bucks for the uh, you know the the higher up seats. Yeah, it's right. It's genius because he realizes he wants to pack the the venue out. He realizes that you know not everybody can afford two hundred fifty bucks, and if he charges two hundred fifty bucks, he's only going to do a few thousand people. But if he charges reasonable prices for the for the back seats, he'll do twenty thousand tickets, which is what he did in Atlanta, which is crazy. 
Who's who's so? If I'm not mistaken, I think he gets a I think he gets a cut of the beer sales too. Like I, I heard that part of it too. Like it's a fifteen dollar ticket plus he gets a, a a little piece of the beer sales. So you know, which is a nice uh, you know his crowd is going to be drinking a few beers. Yeah, and good on him. I mean, that's again, you know, I, I think we live in a in an age now where there's a lot of this kind of everyone's looking at everybody else's pockets, and everyone's you know. You know, from time to time, you know, I hear things about uh, Tom Morello talking about, you know, uh, income inequality. It's like, I didn't get a check from you when, you you know, <laughs> we're both playing rap rock. You know, I'm out there playing as many shows as you. You made 10 million bucks. I made $10. I think you should give me 2 million. It's like, no, no, that's right. not how it works. You know, he did. He had was more successful than me. He sold more records. He sold more concert tickets and T-shirts. That's the way it should work. And Ferris got nothing to do with it. Shit ain't fair, man. I'm five nine. <laughs> if I was six five, I couldn't <laughs> play pro basketball. Shit ain't right. fair, man. Just it's just life, and it's all those hard things that make us better. You know what? I, I, I that was going back to our earlier conversation about. You know, some bands, there are some bands who, when they got real successful, they started making lazy albums. And there are other bands who, you know, struggled in that kind of lower middle class, uh, you know, kind of uh, tax bracket, and so to speak. And they keep making badass albums because they're freaking hungry, you know? Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. I, You know, I would love to be a millionaire. I mean, I do have my own house, and I do have a car. Like I'm not poor. I have air conditioning. I don't live in Uganda. You know, like like I, I'm I don't live like a millionaire compared to people you know in the third world. But compared to you know successful musicians, I live a very humble life and um and we we get by. But the, the truth is is that um I would love to be I'd love to have a lot of music money, but I don't do it for that. If I if I did, I would have taken a lot of the offers that I've had over the years to play for big bands. But right. I, I decided I just wanted to play my riffs my way, and you know, and and whatever whatever happens happens. <laughs> no, absolutely. And the one thing too is you know all the bands out there, even you know down to podcasters, you know we're all fighting for the same ears, the same eyes, and the same dollars, you know, and you got to be creative in how you get those dollars. And if it's a VIP package, if it's a signature guitar, if it's a, you know, a special, uh, you know, like podcasters will do a Patreon page where, you know, you can get bonus content or, you know, you're, you're just having to be, it's like an age of creativity that uh, definitely wasn't there in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. It was, you put out a record, you tour on the record, you sell a t-shirt, next city, you know, and now it's, you know, you can uh, run a business from your phone. You could run a T-shirt company. You can you can do so many things. You know, with the technology that we have these days, that uh, you know, a lot of the bands that are more creative in that sense are, are going to last. And you almost have to have that brain inside your, you know, inside the band somewhere that's going to keep the the show on the road. Because you know, the the record sales are down. You know, you don't make very much money off of uh, streaming services. All that stuff's out there. So, I mean, you know, these pledge musics, you know, that we need to kind of corral back to uh, now that we went on our tangent. But, you know, pledge music, uh, Patreon pages for bands, you know, any kind of thing like what Protest the Hero is doing where you can pay a fee and get a song a month or, you know, just anything that's, uh, that's creative that fans can enjoy and stick behind. Because, I mean, you know, a Stuck Mojo fan has been a Stuck Mojo fan since since the mid-90s is, uh, you know, gonna gonna support you guys and gonna support what you guys do and you know finding a way for you know and they want to support you that's the other thing too 
like you said about the VIP packages, is they want to spend this money on Stuck Mojo or they want to spend this money on Fozzie. They want to go and and do something fun with Fozzie. I mean, you know, I I I would love to go to a pizza party with Frank, you know, and sit there and just and hear him ramble on, you know. So I mean, that's 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 such a cool idea for you guys. So so let's just kind of get to the pledge music and uh, just you know some of the other stuff that you offer. We're using pledge like uh just like a merch store just an online merch store so we're we're not doing the hey uh we'll give you a song a month or we'll we'll you know any of these kind of um most of the stuff that's on this it's like here's a signed symbol here's a signed cd i have a thing where i did a thing like raid rich's wardrobe where i just take a bunch of the t-shirts that I've worn on stage and a bunch of t-shirts that I've worn like in photo shoots and I put them in a bundle and it's basically like you're, you're going through my, my chest of drawers at home and to just start raiding my, my uh, closet. And, uh, and it's cool because again, and I'm, I mean, I'm selling my, my 1999 WrestleMania t-shirt with freaking Mike Tyson on the shirt. It's a good I mean, if I sold it on eBay, it'd probably go for about 150 bucks. But I'm selling it plus, you know, a bunch of other shirts that I've worn. And I, again, just trying to figure out ways that we can pay back the debt that we incurred recording the album and find some stuff that fans may may dig. Um, and uh, again, yeah, that was the one thing not, on there that I I thought was hilarious. By the way, was the the, the rating your wardrobe thing, and that you know just kind of goes back to, uh, you know, if. No one, you're not twisting anyone's arm to buy a shirt. But obviously, if I got an offer to to buy a shirt that maybe Dime wore on something, you're like, man, I would really love to own that. And there are people out there that obviously are huge fans of you that are, that want to own those things. And it's 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 that it's that word that it's hard to wrap your head around stuff. It's hard it's hard to wrap your head around someone would want to own that. But you know, if you throw it up there and someone buys it, then obviously somebody wants to own it. You know? Yeah, and that's the other thing is that I've. I would feel weird about selling it on eBay going, Hey, who wants my shirt, man? So the idea, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the idea of this, uh, pledge store is really, it's, it's, it's like a big yard sale, uh, in certain ways to help finance this record. And, uh, again, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask up front to help me pay for this album. I wanted to, I wanted to put the skin in the game up first, you know, up front and, and record the album and get it done up front. And then, you know, and then comes to the fans and say, hey, here's some sound clips. Here's a song. Here's a couple of videos. We're going to be, I mean, next week I'm releasing another lyric video. I mean, by the time the album comes out, there'll be six or seven, I mean, there'll be two or three full music videos and three or four um, uh, full lyric videos. I mean, people will have an opportunity to hear most of the album before, uh, the album is technically released on June 24th. All the pledge stuff is pre-sale. Basically, what we're, we're asking folks to do is say, hey, if you buy the album ahead of time, you get a free download now uh, and just a bunch of bonus features that you get. You, you know, we're offering uh, like uh, the rhythm section mix, which is just drums and bass only of the entire album. So if you're a guitar player and you want to jam along with the album, but you don't want any guitars or vocals on there, you just want to riff along to the drums and bass, that comes for free. So if you buy a $10 download, you get that mix for free. You get the karaoke mix for free, which is basically the whole album, just no vocals. So And we did their reunion show um, on the on the day after Christmas with the, you know, that the Pig Walk Rising lineup. 
and we're giving that concert away. If you, you buy a $10 download, you get to watch that whole show for free. So, I mean, again, I'm just trying to find ways to say thank you to people for helping us make an album. Um, and it's, again, you, you've made albums, you've toured, you, don't, you know how much it costs to make these things. And you have to sell a lot to even get back to, to square one. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, I, this is my eight, 18th album when you consider stuck, all the Stuck Mojo releases, the Fozzie releases, my solo records. And I, I've just gotten to that point where I love making albums and I don't care what it costs. I'll figure it out on the back end. If it means when I come home, you know, and we're all finished with it, if I still owe 10000 bucks because I didn't get to pay off all my debt, I'll sell a couple of guitars. I mean, I've got 40-something guitars at my house. I have tons of vintage Les Pauls and Strats and, and vintage Marshall amps, and I buy them when times are good, and if times get lean, I'll sell a few. But ultimately, I don't do this for the money. I love, like, again, I'm not ashamed if I did make some. I'd love to. I'd love to be like Bruce Springsteen and um, throw away socks after the show instead of washing them in the sink. I mean, that would kick ass, right? <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely, man. The, you're the fresh pack of socks on tour. I've, I've actually brought that up here before, man. A, a fresh pack of socks on tour is next to gold some nights. Yeah, it's great. But again, I'll go back to Devin Townsend. He's like one of my heroes. I mean, he, he's smart, man. You know, he he recognizes that if you want to have a career over the long period of time, You've just got to be true to yourself and you got to, you got to know who you are and you just got to work hard and, you know, and don't have expectations. The expectations that people are going to love this or people are going to buy this, that, that can't even enter into your mind. You just have to do it with pure motives because you love doing this and because what you're doing, you know, I mean, I'm not kidding you. There are times when I'm mixing or I'm playing a solo where I get so freaked out at like how happy I am with this performance, it, it, it's something I can't even explain. Um, it's a, it's a reaction that I don't get from doing anything else in my life. And I love that. It's a, it's a high, it's a, it's a, you know, it's something I don't even get from playing on stage. That, that thing of just being in a room with a guitar in your hand and recording yourself and coming up with these ideas. It's my favorite thing in the world. So I just want to keep making records and pledge music is a very cool way for fans to buy music and 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 i will tell you this i do believe there are a lot of people who download albums for free uh through torrent sites because they feel like the music industry is screwing the artists a lot of people say why am i going to spend 15 bucks on a cd when the band's not going to see any of it anyway but when you buy a cd through pledge pledge gets 15 percent of of all of so if you buy an album 20 bucks pledge is going to get, uh, a, you know, you know, obviously a buck 50, right. excuse me. Yeah. Three bucks. <laughs> God, I'm shitty. Look at me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I was agreeing with you. So I was like, yeah, yeah you agree. It's awesome. Only count to four. So it's, all right. <laughs> right. it's a really cool thing. Fans, when they spend the money on the record, they know it's coming to the band. And, uh, and for us, it's a great avenue for us because we have complete control over the product and the process. So it's a real cool thing. Definitely, man. I'm going to put that, obviously have that in the, uh, the links to that in the show notes so they can, uh, find that if they're still listening an hour and a half into this podcast. But, uh, I know we're, we're about to hit, uh, we're about to hit like, uh, Joe Rogan numbers, you know, do like a three hour podcast. But, uh, 
and let me just say before we go, I'm so like to people who I know this was a long podcast, but I really don't know how to do the quick answers and stuff. I just want to feel like we're having a conversation, like you and I are friends. We're talking. We're just going back and forth, discussing things. That's my favorite stuff. When I listen to Jericho or I listen to Joe Rogan or, you know, I, I love those long-form conversations. Sometimes when I, I love Corolla, but his interviews are so quick. They're like those 10, 15-minute interviews. It's like I want to hear more. And uh, so for me, I'm uh, just like when I make music, when I'm doing these things, I'm I'm doing them for for what I want to do, which is I want to get into the meat and I want to talk about stuff. And so thanks for giving me the time. I really appreciate it. Right, and thank you again to Rich Ward for taking a whole lot of time out of his night to uh, sit there and chat with me. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And uh, make sure you're going over to Pledge Music, searching out the Stuck Mojo Pledge Music campaign and uh, supporting them and everything they do. Such great guys. And uh, hopefully you guys learned a lot about what's going on in Stuck Mojo and what's going on in Fozzie and going on in the world of Rich Ward, the Duke of Metal. Hey, this is Jim Brewer, and thanks for listening to the Talk To Me podcast. Not you, talk to me. (laughs) And as Jim Brewer just said, thank you so much for listening to the Talk To Me podcast. If you like the show, make sure you are subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play. Head on over there, hit that subscribe button, leave me a nice rating, a nice five-star review, and that will be so helpful to the podcast. And also, it's kind of funny that we talked about Patreon on the Rich Ward episode because him and I, you know, we, we discussed uh, different crowdfunding avenues and things like that. And one of the things is Patreon came up. And again, guys, head on over to patreon.com slash talk to me. There's a, a lot of great ways you can help out the podcast. Yes, this podcast will continue to be free each and every week. And I will never take that away. But if you want to support the podcast, throw a couple of bucks a month at the podcast. It will be so helpful. Upgrade the system, get the website going, get some uh, get some gear so I can go and actually sit down with these artists when they come through town. It'd be a lot of great stuff, man. And I, I'm looking so forward to the future of this podcast. So if you want to help me get to that future, please head on over to patreon.com slash talk to me. Donate a dollar a month, $3 a month, $5 a month 
or even $10 a month. And uh, so far, my early adopters, I got to say thank you to Eric Hall and a huge thank you for a $10 a month donation from Scott Bowling. So grateful for uh, for you guys to come on board so early. And uh, if you guys go to patreon.com slash talk to me, throw a couple of bucks at the podcast, I'll definitely give you a huge shout out on the podcast. And uh, I've got a lot of great things in works for the uh, bonus episodes each month. So yes, there will be a bonus podcast. It's not going to be your run-of-the-mill podcast. I think I'm going to do some specials, maybe some band specials. I've got a couple of bands in mind I'd like to do just uh, some uh, some complete episodes about, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. So make sure to head on over there and see if there's a, a plan on there that you would like to support. Also, head on over to puckhockey.com, and that's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Enter TALK, T-A-L-K, when you check out for 10% off your entire order. Yes, TALK at checkout for 10% off your entire order. When this episode hits, I have a huge guest I'm interviewing. And uh, so I don't like to say who I'm interviewing before I interview them because I've had a, I've said it a couple times, I think, on this podcast where I've said, you know, like, upcoming guest, and I've said a name, and something fell through with that artist or that guest. So I've got a huge guest, and I'm so excited. I'm actually a little nervous about it, but uh, this Friday's guest I will be recording with tomorrow. And if you're on Patreon, you have already seen who this guest is and you've been able to uh, throw a question at. So there you go. There's another reason to be on Patreon for the Talk To Me podcast. So until Friday with a super awesome special guest, I am Joshua Toomey, and this has been the Talk To Me podcast. See you guys on Friday. (laughs) 